Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Cindy Ayers Elliott. Cindy is the CEO of Footprint Farms, the largest urban farm in the state of Mississippi, where she specializes in bringing access to food deserts in her community and the state. Before becoming a farmer, Cindy was in investment banking in New York. She always says, I gave up my red bottoms for work boots, and I've not looked back. Welcome to the podcast, Cindy. I'm just so delighted to have you here. Thank you so very much. It is my honor and pleasure to be here. Anytime I get to talk about the, the farm and what we're doing and the impact with, with great people who really understand makes me smile early in the morning. So good morning. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I'm going to ask the, the obvious question first, and this is one that uh, I'm sure startled a lot of people. You went from investment banking on Wall Street. Um, you were a CEO uh, to farming. So if my first question really is, why investment banking? Because that's probably not a question you get very often. I no. understand you were a CEO. So what, what was it about that work that drew you? Before wow. We how, how about that? Well, my, my background is in finance. Believe it or not, my first position when I started in this area, I was the administrator to the state treasurer for the state of Mississippi. Oh, wow. To Marshall Bennett. Uh, we actually came into uh, office together, pretty much. I was part of his campaign when he was running for treasurer. And of course he was an attorney by practice. And for me, I was just graduate student out and just doing community service and during his campaign. And the friendship um, came with, you know, we were all over the state campaigning together with his family, my family, meeting different people that we knew. And he was elected. He actually said we were elected. He was elected with 78% of the vote, which was the highest of any candidate running statewide in Mississippi. And he still wow. holds that record. Oh, that's this. great. Yeah. Cool. So I, I, I was in finance and didn't know I was in finance. I was with the state treasurer. <laughs> that's very cool. So you started off with this this finance beginning in Mississippi, and then uh, why Wall Street? Because that sure is a, a big leap in terms of culture and what you were doing. Yeah, I know. But let me tell you, I actually went to school in Boston. Uh, UMass okay. Amherst is where I did my undergrad and grad okay. there. So the East Coast was part of what I was living even though uh, home was Mississippi and the banking that I started was right here in Jackson. But after I left the, the state treasurer's office, I actually became the CEO chairman of starting um, the first African-American-owned bank in Mississippi since Reconstruction. Wow. So I uh, what a, what got a great a honor. Dip. Yeah, I, I was a part of... Um, uh, a group that we actually put together to do a de novo, which is starting um, a bank from ground up. Mm -hmm. And this was something that um, I know was so badly needed in Mississippi because there was a big uh, disconnect 
um, between banks here um, for housing um, mm -hmm. as it relates to making loans to uh, people of color, to black people in, in Mississippi. So mm -hmm. this was one of the things that I had been uh, seeing throughout my career with the treasury is, you know, trying to, to look at what else we could do because I got into investment banking because part of what we do at the treasury was pension funds. That was one mm -hmm. of the the boards mm -hmm. that we actually sat on and mm -hmm. the treasurer actually um, had me representing him on that board. So I had to learn about investment banking because we were investing the state funds. Right. So I had to learn quick. Yeah. <laughs> we got elected <laughs> and now you got to serve. Um, mm. So one of the areas that I concentrated on was an investment and meeting different investment banking firms uh, throughout the country. Ones that was already doing business with Mississippi and during that time, we had no African-American firms doing any investment of Mississippi um, funds at all through the wow. state. Um, probably throughout the state, not just with the, the state, but also with the county and cities uh, in Mississippi. So I actually worked that, um, that part of bringing the kind of knowledge to Mississippi, to the elected officials, and to a lot of the attorneys and people who would want to get into this industry had they had access. So hmm. Hmm. that was one of the beginning. And that's how I really got into finance uh, wow. was to help bring access even then um, to equality or to be able to have an opportunity to get some things, things that we should naturally have without having to go through a uh, hundred thousand things to have a decent house, affordable housing, yeah. because you were paying this high rent, but never owning. And I'm all about building of wealth and wealth building mm -hmm. and things that you want to do to help your city and community. The more taxpayers we have, uh, the more we're able to do for our counties, our school systems, our highways, our infrastructure. So this, this, is, uh, this is how legacy and wealth is built. The, yeah. one of the biggest well, thing is, is home ownership. Yeah. And wealth building is, is, long been identified as problematic for people of color in particular. Yes. So it's a lot less access. It's, I mean, the numbers, they're so disparate. Yes. And it's, it's, it's by design. I mean, we have to, we have to first identify the problem and understand the problem before mm -hmm. you can start working on the solutions and yeah. doing that. You have to be very vivid and very direct uh, and specific to what you're doing because you see it. And it's not something you hear about it. You feel it as well. Um, yeah. So that was my, my introduction, I, I suppose, to finance being with the treasury, but really understanding more of how this world works as it relates to finance and to dollars and what yeah. it could do and how you could <laughs> leverage and how you could build and how wealth is truly built in this country. Yeah. And you, you said this, that it's not by accident. There are systemic and cultural systems in place that yes. are actively interfering with that. So you're part of the solution of that by bringing that to light and, and uh, starting a de novo bank. It's, um, you know, that's not a big, that's not a small undertaking to be part of that. <laughs> well, you know, when you're young and you feel like you can do anything because it's been done, someone, <laughs> right. if they could do it, I can do it better. Right. Um, right. And why not? And this was, uh, it was, a, it was challenging, but at the same time, it really built more than just my character. My grandfather would always say to me, you have to have your armor. You have to go out and get your armor because it is a fight. And, you know, young, I didn't understand that as much as I, 
I do and I did as I got older in getting mm. armor. And for him, armor was education, was information, was getting um, um, direct, you know, connections to uh, areas that you didn't know about and you weren't exposed to. And he would always tell me that. So mm. I always took that like, oh, what is that? How can I do that? And reading and was my, uh, I guess, my retreat of reading everything. I was mm-hmm. reading the Wall Street Journal when I was seven or eight. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this was, again, it was like, how do you do that in Mississippi? A little black girl in Mississippi um, in, the, um, in the early uh, 70s, um, you know, reading Wall Street because it wasn't um, something that was just here. Yeah. My, my grandparents was a big part of the civil rights movement during the 60s. Mm. And they actually had a safe house. Um, an underground railroad in today's time wow. where people came in from the Northeast, West, going into Mississippi to the Delta, the Mississippi Delta to actually mm-hmm. help get people registered. So a lot of SNCC mm-hmm. students and people, attorneys wow. came through. And mm-hmm. part of my duties were to clean out the cars or so I would, you know, actually have that bag and getting out all these magazines and newspapers. And of course, the magazines was like pictures and color and so many different things. And then that became like, I can't wait for who's coming next. So I was wow. having the America brought to me uh, through uh, newspapers and magazines and books and then listening to huh. um, the people that come in that became uh, friends um, to um, so many people in Mississippi and my family being one of those. What an amazing background you have, Cindy. I mean, to be exposed to that and to be part of that in, in, and to see your ancestors really being involved in that so actively, how inspiring. And what's the, what's the armor that you've taken on? What's, what's your armor? Well, my armor that I still uh, uh, change colors with them sometimes and still pour more on, you know, as the world change, your armor has to change as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it can't be as heavy. Sometimes it has to be a whole lot lighter. So now my armor is policy. Is how do you look in and sit and be able to help direct policies? Because Uh policies is a big part of how everything is done. And in order to change policies or to create policies, or learn that you can put an and and instead of or and make a powerful difference in in major things that happen throughout this world. That's my armor now. It's really Uh looking at how we can direct, how can we redirect. But again, the problem still remains the same. It's systemic. You have to identify it. Then you have to be able to stand up and go and find the solutions to help change that. And it depends on the people from not just the elected officials nationally, but a lot of elected officials locally. And to encourage more people to sit at that table to encourage new policies. Yeah. Well, and you're, you've been actively involved in developing policy around food and food deserts, food insecurity. And so let's, let's talk about footprint farms and how you've moved into this whole realm. Why, why agriculture out of, <laughs> after that background? I mean, there's so many ways in which you could have influenced things in, in this part of your career. So why that? Yeah, why ag? Well, you know, it wasn't, um, I didn't think it was by design, but I think other people had plans, especially uh, God Almighty redirected my whole path um, mm. because I left New York as in banking after 9-11. Ah. So um, from one tragic to 
bringing something else back in to, I guess, to come uh, myself and to anchor myself um, again. And it was with the soil because I get so excited about this now talking about this, not realizing how your path has been redirected and what the healing that has to happen uh, for a lot of us from 9-11, healing still has to happen for a lot of us from our ancestors' time and, and slavery and everything else is still a mm-hmm. healing. And that yeah. is still a big part of this earth, the land. It is the soil. It is the water. It is the air. It is the sun um, that, that's on our skin that we feel that changes everything about self. Um, mm-hmm. So it's that spiritual part um, in understanding the importance of nature. Um, so agriculture, again, it was in policies. I was looking to um, help change directions because I hadn't heard this great lady um, by the name of Michelle Obama talk uh-huh. about changing s- school systems, right. food, and how yeah. food is, is given and how we should be looking at taking care of our youth and our young people, our children, our babies, mm-hmm. on what they were eating. So I really got like, okay, yeah, that makes good sense. This food is the basic. Right. Uh, of health. Yeah. And then when you look at our state, my state that I love, the state of Mississippi, I'm very proud to be a farmer and I'm very proud to be from Mississippi. And they say, well, how can you say that? I said, because it is home. It is the soil that my ancestors stood on for many, many generations. Yeah. And it is home. Even though I've traveled the world, I've lived in other places. I've only paid taxes in one state. I only voted in one state. <laughs> and it was just Mississippi because I was still trying to build my armor to still take care of home right. um, in doing that. So yeah. uh, policies with it was in food and food was connected in agriculture, which was part of the farm bill. So the policy piece for me was uh, the farm bill that was developed or being developed under the Obama administration and how things were changing with the verbiage and the policies of huh. what is available. You know, during this time, too, is right after the settlement of the Black Farmers lawsuit. What Glidman, tell, um, the reader, tell the readers about it. Right, well, let me tell you about this. If you, yeah. This is something that you really need to, to look at. It was um, uh, some Black farmers actually filed suit against the United States Department of Agriculture because of how they were being treated and being able to or not being able to receive loans or funds mm-hmm. from USDA for farming. Which Footprint Farms has taken advantage of? You well, you tapped into those. Yeah, Footprint yeah. Farms have is now yeah. a big part of that. But mm. it's only because again of those shoulders that we stand on and what was started first yeah. in order to even uh, not just know it but to bring it to light so everyone else could see it as well. And then you look at the land loss that has that has continued to happen for Black land loss in America, and it was mm. because a big part was because of the government or USDA. Um, mm. So, and other, other powers that be that control then um, the atmosphere of wealth uh, in this country. Right. So it was definitely with policies and, and listening to that with health and health and policies in Mississippi goes hand in hand because if you look at our statistical data, it will show you that Mississippi is number one in everything that's bad, from mm, diabetes yeah. to hypertension to obesity right. uh, yeah. to uh, welfare to children's health to uh, mortality rate of children. So mm-hmm. that, again, it has been identified as there. So now 
You don't have to, re- you don't have to look to research that. You have to go to the other side. Now, what can we do to help eliminate or to bring notice of things that we could do differently? And a lot well, of this can be through food. Well, one of the things I know I, I learned in an article about you was that uh, you're involved in teaching small scale farmers and that there's, there's a mindset thing you have to get past of this terrible legacy of, of sharecropping and slavery in the land. And you've alluded to it, but that's also part of what you do. It's not just around food supply. Yes, that that's true. It is um, uh, many moving parts, but you're absolutely right because, you know, this is one of the things that we've been separated from the land for maybe five or six generations from our great, great grandparents time to where we are now mm-hmm. um, to working in the land or with the land, or even having land. Um, so you have to look at this and to integrate it back into what we want to do. Small farmers and new beginning farmers and ranchers, which is now an official title. We now have new <laughs> beginning farmers and ranchers. That's not That's part good. of the, uh, the documents for the United States Department of Agriculture. How about ah, that? Great. So policy <laughs> does happen and things does do change once you're pushing the agenda. So that's now a category is now a line item that's in the federal budget. And reason agriculture too, when you look at this, the second largest budget in America is agriculture, is USDA. Interesting. It's second to the Department of Defense. Yeah. Now that should tell you the importance of what we, what's been happening with the dollars there. Because think about this. When you think about food, you just think food, but you got to think world and earth. It could, it's part of the water that we have to drink and the mm-hmm. water ways that we navigate. It is the soil itself that we grow on. It's also the air that we breathe. So when you're right. thinking USDA, these are all the components that it is responsible for and putting things in place to make sure that we have a continuation of clean water, fresh air, uh, fertile soil, um, air pollution. All of this is under big part under USDA. Mm-hmm. So for me, policy and the problems that we are having overall in this country, especially as people of color and black people and farmers, you got to understand this is what you have to do your part as well. Even as a small farmer, we got to look at still these practices are still taking care of this earth. Well, and you've been part of the um, uh, natural resources conservation service programs in uh, really having environmental impact by doing various things like you built high tunnels, which increases yield on a per square foot piece of land and and micro irrigation as a way to conserve water. All those things are part of what you're talking about in terms of caring for not just the land, but water supply as well as, as you know, all in, in, as you're growing food. Absolutely. And this is part of um, not just farming, but part of taking care of the earth. And when you're looking at things and you're looking at new practices uh, that's available, these are the things that you have to bring yourself to know about. And this is through policies, but it's also through helping people to know this is what's going on and this is what we have to understand how it works, but giving mm-hmm. them access. A biggest part for me is opening up and giving access so people will know it is available, it is there. Now, this is how you go to, uh, to look for it or this is where it is. Um, and the more you tell, the more people will know and you tell them the correct information. 
about yeah. what's there and how you change things yourself. You know, it, one, it's one change at a time. It's one county at a time. It's one farm at a time. Mm. What we do is to help bring on new farmers. You know, when you look at the age yeah. of farmers in this mm-hmm. country, especially black farmers, they're in the upper 60s uh, because there's no new blood coming in or no, right. no one wants to farm because yeah. of this mentality that it's a lot of hard work and no money. Well, that's mm-hmm. not true. It is some hard work, but it's in everything, but there is a lot of money and there's money to be made and there's legacies to be built. But it's also, again, giving access to others to have livable wages working the land. And you also have land sharing. You lease quarter or half acres for a dollar or you exchange <laughs> sweat equity for land and provide technical assistance for people who want to farm their own land. Like that's all part of what you do as well. This is this is part of it. I'm again, I'm part of the Natural Resource Conservation Services. I'm a commissioner for um, the Soil and Water Conservation District. And each mm. state, each county has this board that's put in place to be almost like a liaison between USDA and the community that you serve, that you're there. Uh, so as a commissioner, I, again, I went into territories that I didn't know exist. So how could I make any changes in it? So <laughs> by going in now and learning and knowing it, I'm now able to help direct uh, and redirect some of the things that's available to do mm. it. But the leasing of the land, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people that want to eat better, to be healthier, to farm that are landless. Uh, mm-hmm. They have no land and they have no, um, no money to buy land because land is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is another way for me and Footprint Farms to actually be able to help build wealth uh, and health um, by leasing um, a half acre or an acre of land for a whole dollar. You know, I make a lot of money doing that. <laughs> Uh-huh. So we, we lease for a dollar. You know, but... you know how to create a profit margin. <laughs> yeah. Well, that whole dollar turns into uh, families of, of being able to live healthier and to live happier by having access to the basic things that they need, like being yeah. able to uh, pay their mortgage or buy, have a mortgage or uh, be able to have transportation and be able to buy purchase items that you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this also helps us to teach new ways of farming, to let them know there's so much more to agriculture than just putting a seed in the soil. It's mm-hmm. also about putting a seed in the minds to what can happen and the different type of growing that we have to do, the different type of seeding, the different types of fruit. When I say that, I'm talking about the fruit from the seed that we're planting now for generations to come. To let them understand the importance of taking care of the land and that you can make a successful living on the land, as well as help improve health for yourself, your families and your surroundings to do that. Well, the, and, other thing, the other thing, I mean, yeah, go ahead. The other thing about this is that it empowers the community because all of my farmers that's here, we work together and these are people from the community. I have some second chancers um, that's with me. He's been with me now for four years. Uh, Mr. Will, who is just super great. And the land is a part of his healing for mm. being incarcerated for so many years. He He's here seven days a week um, and only getting paid for some of those. <laughs> um, but he comes in because he says, this is his, this is his, his relief. This is his place of, of his okay. heaven, or this is his, his place that he can relax and feel part of, uh, of life yeah. uh, here. So that's important. 
Uh, we have Danny, who is from the islands originally, living in now in the U.S., where he's brought so many great things and ideas to Mississippi and to our farm. Uh, we're not growing things that Mississippi never heard of, not only to talk about growing it. <laughs> we're growing things <laughs> like callaloo and sorrel, things mm-hmm. that have normally been grown in other parts of the country and other parts of the world, but not in Mississippi. And with that comes so many super values of health because all of these that we grow are superfoods, uh, which gives you more protein and more fiber, but yet still it's very good and tasty to the palate. It, it goes in and integrates to the palates that we have uh, with the greens and the different things too mm-hmm. that we eat and now how we prepare it differently. So yeah. all of this is part of it. Well, and part of what you do, I know, is uh, teaching young people. And I've actually been involved. I was on the board of a nonprofit that taught kids about fruits and vegetables, gave them exposure to it, how to grow it, how to cook it. And so I know how powerful that is and kids getting exposed to that. So you've been hugely involved in that, providing uh, space for classes and camps and 4-H clubs and and even mentoring high school students and yes. helping them get to college. So. Absolutely. We, we do that. And from that, those are the seeds that we're planting for a, a future harvest that we're seeing a lot of it right now. We had several of our 4-Hers, and it was the George Washington Carver Future Scientists of America 4-H group. <laughs> they got to name themselves. So this is what they <laughs> came up with. And I That's said, great. it sounds great to me. Yes, let's run with it. Right. And it was actually a football team that I started working with in one of the high schools that became my 4-H group. <laughs> so it was very interesting in going into the school system. And the school system that we that was part of our community that I went into uh, was one of the uh, lowest rated school districts um, in our city. But because of the great people, the coach and um, others there who wanted a change, who wanted to do something, we all got together and made it happen. We were the one that says, no, we're going to do it this way. We're going to teach a different way. Um, So the football team actually came and received an acre of land for a whole dollar Uh um, to grow watermelons for that summer for them. Um, And we taught them math, science. Uh, accounting, right. all with that, including sure. banking, uh, mm-hmm. because this we act as their bank for seeds and everything to teach mm-hmm. them. And we brought in their their colleagues, um, but we also brought in um, other community leaders that was a part of their education here on the farm. We had our good friends that was in the military that came in. We had return retired captains and colonels who's coming to talk to them about the importance of what they were doing and who they are. We brought Mm, people in to help them build themselves of their confidence because one young man said to me um, that we not only changed his life, I saved his life because they're telling him was telling him the only number you're going to have is the one across your chest. Mm. Uh, Now his numbers are saying I'm a graduate and my account numbers at the bank and uh, I'm doing things that has changed his life and his family's life. And, just breaking that whole cycle. So we see, yeah. as we say, those chains are still not just shackles on our ankles and our necks, but also in our minds. So these are the shackles that we have to help to remove and to unlock, especially yeah. our younger generations, to mm-hmm. know that net worth is, is worthy and they have so much potential. And agriculture is one of these ways you can do that because the world of agriculture has 
entangles everything. Um, anything you could major in in college, you know, there's a spot for you in agriculture. There's opportunities there, careers there. Yeah. That you well, can really build from. It's so multidisciplinary and, and yes. it's entrepreneurship because it's you're entrepreneurship. creating your own business. So, I mean, we've, you've touched on this in so many ways, but this whole thread of legacy keeps popping up. And my belief is that impact is really made up of three major parts, collective care, income, and legacy. And you're really attending to all three of those. And in the, in the legacy realm, I mean, you've already talked about your uh, grandparents and their work in the world. And then now you're bringing your son into your, into footprint farms and how exciting to be able to share that with him and to have impact with him as a way of bringing the, your impact out into the world. Oh yeah. And if you can see me right now, I'm glowing uh, because <laughs> I am so proud of, I have two sons. I have two wonderful sons. I have Legrand, who is the oldest, who's coming aboard with me. And Eric, who is the youngest, who's in Houston, Texas. And mm-hmm. Eric will start first with, <laughs> he's there, they were in the profession. They're all graduates of universities uh, with master's degrees. They actually went a different way into logistics and medicine, pretty much on the yeah. field of health, which uh-huh. was a good part. Uh, but Eric now uh, has a winery. So he has agricultural in his, <laughs> in his veins. <laughs> wow. And Houston is not Houston. what you could consider a wine growing region. How about, how about that? So he has <laughs> a winery there uh, in a bistro. Now ah. it goes back to how you I talked about my armor, how things changes. Mm. Well, before we had to worry about growing the grapes, if you're doing a winery, now you, you control just getting the juice in from across the world where right. it's being grown and you're bringing it in. So you're doing, mm. you're utilizing something that you never utilized before. Mm. Uh, by now taking the juice. So they, it comes full circle. So now the, the juice itself or the grape juice or the, that wine is made from comes in in containers that you actually, um, you know, go through the whole process of still barreling and taking to actually create great wine. Uh, so it's amazing in how agriculture goes. Again, you, you think about ag, you don't think about a winery, but that's part right. of it. It's true. Yeah, yeah. And my oldest son is Legrand, who is in logistics, in fact, um, um, entrepreneur in his own right, um, doing a lot of things with moving uh, logistical freight throughout this country. Um, he is now on board as a full-time farmer. Yay for me. Uh, <laughs> and we are getting ready to start a new arm of Footprint Farms, which is the cow-calf operation. We're now going to have cows, well, more cows on the farm and beef. So we'll be looking at he- that. You have multiple animal, multiple animals. You have you have meat goats and, and yeah, we have meat and goats and chickens. now cows and more cows. Yeah. No chickens now, but <laughs> oh, okay. part of part of my 4-H groups that we work with, and now farms now have chickens. So now we have sister farms um, throughout that have different types of animals and different types of things they're growing, and we're actually working together. They are part of my my CSA, my community supported agriculture. Mm-hmm. Where again, we're teaching and we're training and we're saying, now you have your own business, we can still work together. So a lot of things that they grow, we now uh, source from them, from farmers that we've taught how to now buying their product to go farther throughout the state. Mm-hmm. So all the dots are connecting and what we're doing and how we are opening up other doors and opportunities for new farmers 
that never thought they were ever farm. They never knew anything like I did. I couldn't grow plastic. So now I'm growing <laughs> acres and acres of uh, vegetables and it's going throughout the state of Mississippi. So, And you're part of a co-op as well, where you're mm-hmm. looking at accessing large food companies where there's these minimum requirements that small farmers just can't hit. But when you collaborate and come together, then you can be part of that larger market as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's where that other armor came into place of putting deals together and putting mm-hmm. the right people at the table to help create uh, what we need to have to make it work. And there's so many great organizations out there, the Federation of Southern Farmers, they're out there. It's a lot of um, a great groups that believe in ins- food insecurities and helping to make a difference in changing that. So there's a lot of groups out there. There's a lot of nonprofits. There's a lot of philanthropies that are out there now that's really focusing on. And I think what has happened in this last two years with COVID has really showed locals how important it is to have locals. Because mm-hmm. if the food chain is broken, and it was, and it still is to a big point, that I don't care how much money you have, if there's no food on the shelves in the grocery stores, yeah. uh, then it does not matter. The same thing is with small farmers. The small farmers was actually the ones that kept the chain of food growing uh, in this country, and especially locally, because we actually um, tripled um, our um, food outtake from the farm because of the need. Um, you know, we had to redirect our plans that we had for the farm uh, during 2020. We were going to do more in agritourism, which we do now. We have an Airbnb, um, mm-hmm. and we were doing tours for schools and using that to really show. Well, in the community, you know, this is where your food comes from. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. come from the grocery stores. We make <laughs> right. sure the grocery stores get this to un- right. understand the chain. And during this time of the pandemic and everything was closed and nobody was working, you know, the farm was up and running. And we actually had a drive through that we put in place for the farm mm-hmm. for people to be able to come and drive through the farm. Well, through the driveway of the farm. To pop because their of the, trunks because of the, because COVID. Of the pandemic. Okay. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we had to change and we could change that fast because we are smaller. And from mm-hmm. that, we just said, okay, we can do it this way to still give access to communities. Imagine being in the food deserts as a lot of our clients are. Yeah. And then even not being able to go to a grocery store to get anything. You're mm-hmm. already without a lot. So now mm-hmm. it's even farther away. So this was another way that we could actually um, help move the pinnacle of uh, access for food right here at Footprint Farms, and which is part of what we continue to do. We still open up for the community to come in every Friday to actually, um, you know, pick up food boxes um, that they pay for. And we we are certified USDA uh, certified GAP harmonized so we can sell anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. We choose to sell right here in our state and our community. Um, and make it as, uh, available, healthy, affordable, local food to the community. Well, and there's something else you're doing that's you're you partnering with. And I was surprised to read this. You partner with a pharmaceutical company who is that it, that is involved in uh, diabetes pr- 
products. Um, mm-hmm. That's my corporate background is pharma. And so I was really intrigued to hear about that. You're providing food to the diabetes clinics in as part of the Mississippi Prevention Program for Diabetes. So it's another partnering opportunity. I, I'm just amazed by the number of threads you followed and, you know, all the way from policy to, you know, bringing food to people locally and everything in between, including these partnerships. So is there more future in that, do you think, partnering with other organizations? Oh, absolutely. I think that is definitely the key to being able to move the needle on where we want to go. And that's with health in this country, as Mm. well as with wealth. Um, partnering and being able to partner, utilizing that kind of knowledge and that expertise that's out there. Why in any corporation business, you don't have to know everything. You just got to bring in the right people that right. know the part that needs to concentrate on. And that's what we're doing. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies you spoke of, and we can speak of this because they are truly partners. And that's Nova Nordis, mm-hmm. um, who, again, is the largest maker in the world of insulin. Um, and again, Mississippi was one of their highest ranked customers because that's where it started with me was the health to look at where mm-hmm. we were. And from that, um, we actually went to um, Nova Nordis to with an idea of how we could help work um, to help make a difference um, in our state. Mm-hmm. And they listen. And through that listening, we're now in our fourth year of mm-hmm. um, um, coming into our fourth year of partnering with yeah. them and you can see the difference. I mean, we have statistical data that's being um, you know, accumulated by the health clinics. On the, we don't know who the patients are, we just know we deliver food and they make <laughs> the decision. Um, but a lot of their numbers are saying that uh, medication is being decreased either or it's a, they're now borderline um, a diabetes uh, prevention program for the family. See, one of the things about this program is um, there's 15 pounds of food that goes into the household. Well, even though that patient might just be one, that household might be several. So the food is being eaten by everyone in the household. And the hope for that is that we will help prevent um, other family members from uh, becoming a diabetic because we're looking at how we're changing their diets and how we're changing the food that they normally wouldn't buy or have. But the hope mm-hmm. is, and the encouragement is, you know, we work with chefs to get great recipes. We, we let them talk about how you prep and prepare your food differently. So we're bringing in that other component. You can't just say, here it is. You have to be able to give them something else or to give people the other tools that they need in order for them to be successful. Yeah, So absolutely. with the different recipes on how you prepare uh, makes a difference and hopefully that mm-hmm. when you go to the grocery store, you get to a grocery store, you buy some of the same things that now your palate has become accustomed to eating. Right, right. And you know what it is and how it tastes. And Yes, yeah. and how it tastes. And yeah. it's not, wow, right. I, I said I didn't like that, but I really do. Uh, but yeah. I never had that before. <laughs> exactly. So how do you yeah. know? We know yeah. we, we introduce arugula and uh, Swiss char and they were like, okay, what do you do with it? Don't worry about it. This is how, this is what you do with it. And um, I work with some great chefs, one being Chef Nick Wallace, who was actually from Mississippi, who lives here. He was uh, 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 the chef, James Beard Award chef um, from New York restaurants. And the Mm -hmm. winner of Chops, he's actually one of the the famous people for our state. He won (laughs) won Chops and he's a, a, a great young man who believes in 
using the Southern culture with uh, a flair of Italiano in his food, a little of everything, but it's still (laughs) uh, great dishes that you want to eat and how you can prepare your butter beans differently or your greens. Uh Yeah. Which gets my attention, especially when you told me I can still have cornbread. <laughs> all right. There you go. <laughs> well, Cindy, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I, there's one question I wanted to ask before we get to the rapid round. And that is, you're in a leadership role. You have been most of your career, and this is so broad-based. How would you describe your own leadership at this point? And how do you actively cultivate it? Or is that an unconscious thing? Tell us, tell us something about that. I, I think it's a combination of both. Uh, but mm-hmm. one of the things that I learned early on is that there's, there's a line that you don't cross and that's with your integrity mm-hmm. and with your spirit of doing the right thing because you know what it is. You know what is wrong. Um, but the other side is having access yourself, you know, Through my career, I've had the great pleasure of meeting a lot of people. And my grandfather and my grandmother would always tell me, you never know what you're going to be when you grow up. So for me, uh, the friendships that I made years back, I never, we never knew what we were going to be when we grow up. So a lot of these friends now um, that we met along the way are now uh, CEOs of corporations. They are now heading uh, United Nations, um, different areas. So they're yeah. throughout this world of, um, of leaders in their own right. And having access to that is good. But it's also local. It's being able to go into the communities and you do the things you need to do and you have to empower others. So by empowering, just giving information that you know that's like, you know, you can do it this way and passing that on. To me, that is how legacy is built, but also how wealth is built. And I don't mm. mean just wealth in dollars. I mean wealth in knowledge. And understanding this is this is available to you, and this mm-hmm. is who you go to see, and this is if you don't know someone, someone else does, and let's utilize that. So let's set that up to for success, and that's a big part of how I live my life. It's like okay, where are the objectives? Where are we going? Who has it? Which way do we need to go? Which is the route that we need to pull? And it's a plan. And like life, things change. I know I'm a goat herder. I'm, I have goats and, <laughs> and I, I talk to my vegetables. Who yeah. <laughs> Whoever we, knew um, that I wouldn't like uh, pearls, diamonds, and red bottoms. I, I still do like <laughs> red bottoms, diamonds, and pearls. And I believe that this new face of farming is a new way, a new ways of thinking about what we do and how we market. How do we utilize the technology that we have? How do we utilize the people that we uh, we know and what do we do? What you know? What do we do? What do we do with that? And if we can't use it, how do you pass it on? Yeah. Um, my elected officials here, I'm very active, and I'll go to the city council meetings. I go to the board of commissioners meeting, and I'll mm-hmm. sit and I'll listen, and I will read, and I will respond back to yeah. this, and um, to take it to different groups. I love that organization side, which is what my great grandparents did. Um, it's still organizing. It's still passing on that information and putting it into the right hands, and sure. those hands are continuing to work. Um, so we're we're still doing that. So I'm yeah. I'm I'm That's great. Uh, I just believe in, and we one voice can make a difference. 
Absolutely. I'm right with you there, Cindy. Well, I always wrap up these interviews with uh, three questions about impact in a rapid round. So are you, are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> All right. What's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? If there was one it's thing, the biggest thing. People. Mm. Having access to people. Mm. It, That's the biggest one. It's people. Yeah. It is the greatest thing. It's people. That's great. Well, the second question is, what's one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Believe in the people. Um, <laughs> it is, it's, it's still about that communication and believing and, and doing that and believing that, yes, we can make a difference. And if we pull together, we can truly change um, this world. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Right on. <laughs> and the last question, Cindy, is what's one insight or piece of advice you'd give someone who's saying, I want to have more impact. I want to be out in the world and making a contribution. What would you say to them? To look at yourself in the mirror first and understand those words you just said and go out and volunteer to help someone else that's doing some things, you know, contribute in any way you can. If you can't be a farmer uh, to put seeds in the soil, help that farmer to put seeds in the soil. If you can't uh, drive a tractor to help harvest, help them understand this is where you can go to do this and we can help you get that tractor that you need. So everyone has a part that they can play. If you don't want to get your fingernails dirty, it's okay. Um, let me give me let me help others who do help me direct them. You can contribute to that to make a difference. And you know, help us to uh, understand more. If you have access to some of these things, tell somebody, show them how this too can open up for them. So it still goes back to the biggest access that we have, and that is to the people. And to truly believe we are the people in order to more, to, to have a more perfect union is to do it together. Yeah. I do Love believe that. that. And I do believe yeah. in us. I believe in people. I believe in what you're doing and how you're getting information out um, to others. That is how it, that's, that's the platform that no one can take away once you have that. And that's mm. that voice. Yeah. Cindy, it's been amazing having this conversation with you. You're such an inspiration. And the, the multidimensional way that you're seeing the issues that you've chosen to focus on um, is really, uh, it's such a diverse and expansive way of looking at things that, uh, uh, that can't help but make a difference in the world. So thank you so much for being here and for having this conversation with me today. Thank you so much. And if you want to know more about us, we are Footprint Farms. We're located in Jackson, Mississippi. We farm 68 acres here uh, with veggies and with animals and with people. Um, mm -hmm. Again, we plant seeds, not just in the soil, but also in the mines. You can go to Facebook, Instagram, our website, and just put in Footprint Farms or put in the farmer in Jackson, Mississippi. And somehow we'll pull up. We're right there. We're <laughs> the largest urban farm in the state of Mississippi. But I don't yeah. want to be the largest. I don't want to be the only. I want to say I'm one of 20 in the right. state of Mississippi. Yeah. And all of those links that you mentioned will be in the show notes for people to access. And um, Cindy, thank you so much for the work you're doing in the world. Thank you so much for allowing me to tell others about this great work. And thank you for allowing me to be in this space at this time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 
and help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment one-on-one with me, 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw Siouan people. 